Good morning. Grab your seat, grab your Bible, and uh, please turn to Mark chapter 1. Thank you, worship team. Uh, so love you guys, all the work you put in and to lead us. Uh, good morning. Fourth of July, bam, bam. Glad you're here. Well, we are going to go right from there, from the lifting the name of Jesus Christ high to digging into his word and learning about him. And we are in Mark chapter 1 in this series together. And so far we've covered uh, verses 1 through 20 in Mark chapter 1. And, and we could really call these first 20 verses, I'll use some movie terminology in this. Uh, we would really call these first 20 verses Mark's opening crawl. Mark's opening crawl. And uh, if you know, well, you do, you know Star Wars. In the very beginning of the Star Wars movie, you know where the crawl thing's going? That's what that's called, the crawl. And what's it there for? It's there for the purpose of, in a very short manner of time, just to get some data on the table. So here for episode five, you're getting some data on the table for you. So you can just, when the movie starts actually going on the visual side of things, you already have some foundation on what's taking place with all that. And so here in uh, this, uh, not being in Mark chapter one, not being a a George Lucas film, uh, this is about the story of Jesus Christ. This is really uh, for the gospel of Mark, crawl. And uh, if you will, these first verses tell us about a number of things that we've covered over here the last couple weeks. And and you can just see a a bit of that Mark chapter 1 crawl on the screen. Let let me just remind you of some of the things that are happening here. Uh, We're learning what Mark's purpose is. Verse 1. Verse 1, he's telling us that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is the title, remember? And then is the Son of God. And, And that's where this whole writing is about. We find Jesus is on the scene. He's baptized. He's sent into the desert. Uh, John, John the baptizer, is arrested. Jesus goes into the region of Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Uh, he calls then in verses 16, he calls Andrew and Simon, James and John, uh, calls them to come. Hey, guys, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You get to the end of verse 20, and it's kind of cut the crawl, and uh, they enter into Capernaum. They enter into the city of Capernaum, and really now the story really gets legs to it and really gets moving here with what we have. And so we're in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, as you can see on the screen there, it's kind of in the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, these three scenes that we're about to enter are all taking place in Capernaum. So we have one city today, three scenes And I think out of this, we're going to see four priorities uh, that will help us uh, to walk more like Christ. So the three scenes we see in your sermon notes there, it's Jesus teaches in Capernaum, then he heals in Capernaum, and then he leaves Capernaum. And we're going to dive in. Before I pray and we get started in the text, one other thing I want to remind us. We're in a narrative. Uh, The genre of scripture that we're entering is called narrative. Narrative is story. It's living story, and, it's, and that's a big deal just to understand that. Uh, a narrative is something that is to be felt. It is to be experienced. And, and I'll just say it. One of my pet peeves sometimes is when pastors or people are teaching through the Gospels, they, they take it and they move it right into what's called didactic or into, into kind of like text 
textbook teaching. And they get a three-point outline, hurry and get that in. And, and they teach it in that kind of a way and, and lose the whole experience of being in the moment of the text. God could have had it written any way that he wanted to. It could have been more like an epistle. It could have been in an outline bullet point form. But it's not. We're there in narrative to experience it, to feel it, uh, and to learn from it as well. And stories here that we've got here, these are not just stories like a novel. These are stories that teach. And Mark in this is putting these accounts together with a purpose. And so I'll say this, not only are narratives to be felt and experienced for the purpose of learning something, uh, but also narratives really have kind of two eyes to them. The first set of eyes, when you can look at a story and narrative, is from the author themselves, the human author. So whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, let's say. So here it's Mark. So there's the eyes of Mark. What is Mark doing with the text? What is his strategy? This is one of the things I'm going to keep on as we go through this to understand. One of the, I think it's so fun to come to understand that when these guys are writing, they're not just dictating down what God is saying. They are putting an argument together. It's like a thesis that is being organized. And being able to grab a hold and and understand what they're trying to do just adds a whole new level on it. So how is Mark seeing this and telling this? And then the second set of eyes is really the characters, uh, particularly Jesus. But sometimes we will be talking through some of the eyes of, of men or women or some people through this and how they see it. So today, I just want for you to know up front, we're going through these three scenes and each of these three scenes I'm going to referring to. So what is Mark trying to say here? And then I'm also going to go into, so what is Jesus doing here? What's happening through those two sets of eyes? Okay, so we're going to dig in. We're going to go from verses 21 through verse 39. Three scenes, one city, four uh, priorities. Let me pray. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word that we would be thirsty and hungry for it right now. Lord, it's been a full week. It's been a fun week. For some, it may have been a stressful week. It may have been a hard week. But we're here now with your word to open on our laps and we get to learn about you. It doesn't get more cool than that. And I just pray in this, Lord, would you just help us to know you better, what you're about, what you're seeking to do, and to help us to know in light of who you are, what we're to do. Change us. I really pray we would leave today and this week would be a different week because of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Scene number one, Jesus teaches in Capernaum. Let's start verse 21. Uh, And they went into where? Okay. By the way, we're going to be seeing this city a few times uh, when we go through the gospel of Mark. And they went into Capernaum and immediately, okay, for those of you who are visiting, I just need to set this up. When we come across this, one of the things that Mark uses again and again is this term immediately. One of my things today I'm actually going to show you is there's five immediately's in the text we're reading. Uh, The New International doesn't put it in one of the verses. New American Standard doesn't put it in one of the verses. English Standard Version kind of changes the term of it, and it irritates me (laughs) because we missed the opportunity to go... Okay, so we're going to have five bams today. Just reminded of that. Mark puts it in there. 
actions happening. Things, bam, 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 are, are going along. So they went into Capernaum and immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. I wonder what it sounded like. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing the man and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, I would say so. So that they were quite, so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? Boy, that's a great question. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately, just so you know, in the Greek, it's oithus. Uh, it says this uh, ESV, it says at once. I don't know why they do that, but they're smarter than I, but we're still going to do it my way. Okay, verse, <laughs> verse 28. And immediately his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Okay, let's talk about this. A couple things on the table. Number one, Capernaum, the city of Capernaum. Uh, the slide that you see here, the bigger slide here, shows present-day Capernaum. What you're seeing is actually about a third of the city that's been excavated. Uh, and you need to understand some of these items here. They're important to un- grasping and feeling and, and experiencing the story. Uh, Capernaum in Jesus' day was a city of about 1,500 to 2,500 people. Uh, that means that uh, Danville is too big of a city. That means that Pittsburgh is too big of a city. Uh, similar sized cities would be something more like Cloverdale. Uh, Claremont has a population of about 1,200. So we're getting close in that area. The point is, this is really, even though in our day and age, a small city, this was also a significant city in its day. Uh, in its day, it had that population of 1,500, 2,500, let's just round numbers, say 2,000 people. It was a fishing village because it was right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a trading center. It was the home of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Oh, if you're here last Sunday, remember? That's where Jesus came along calling them to, hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. This is their home. Uh, Capernaum ends up kind of becoming a home base for Jesus while he's in this northern territory for the first nine chapters of Mark. Uh, It's a big part of it. In fact, we'll come back to Capernaum in chapter 2. Jesus comes back again to Capernaum in chapter 9. And so this is kind of almost like a home base. So that's a little about Capernaum. Karen and I have been there in some of this. and, And just being able to see that makes this even so much more vivid with that. It's also, it's in Capernaum, but it's also, it's on the Sabbath. The Sabbath begins on sundown on Friday and goes to sundown on Saturday. Exactly when is this happening? The time isn't important, but it's the Sabbath. People's ears are more tuned in. More people would be in the synagogue than on Thursday or Monday or Tuesday. Uh, That's why Mark includes this. It's on the Sabbath day. Jesus, where does he enter? Where does he go into? 
You tell me. It's all right. We can talk. Yeah, yeah. He goes into the synagogue. Okay, and he goes into the synagogue. Now, now we kind of don't get some of that. Um, you can see this slide. This is a slide we had taken. And while we're there, this is actually the, the synagogue that is over the top of the synagogue in Jesus's day. This synagogue was probably built around fourth, third or fourth century. Uh, the, the one that Jesus was walking into is actually right under uh, this synagogue that is there. Uh, but it depicts this. It's about a 4,200 square foot size. That would be the size of our multi-purpose room over there plus part of the entry. It's not a big area. In other words, probably uh, 150 people standing up could fit in this area. It's not huge. Uh, It fits the city, a synagogue. It's kind of like a local church. Think of it that way. To start a synagogue in that day, you had to have a minimum of 10 men at the age of 12 or older to have a synagogue. Uh, The vast majority of synagogues in the day did not have like a teaching pastor uh, like we have today. They would do their own teaching Uh, They would have their own practices there, but that's where the corporate worship would take place and the people would gather. That's where the reading of scripture would happen and and teaching would happen. There would be no sacrifices in the synagogue. Uh, The sacrificing took place at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, but they did not take place there. So we're in Capernaum. It's on the Sabbath and uh, Jesus is in the synagogue. And look, verse 21, he teaches. Jesus teaches. Now, we're not told exactly what he taught, but we can go to verse 14, and we've covered so far, and it says Jesus goes proclaiming the gospel of God. We haven't fully defined that yet because the text hasn't unfolded it all out yet, but he's teaching, and, and Mark's point is the response to the teaching. Uh, so Jesus on the synagogue, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day goes and starts teaching. Again, that would not be an unfamiliar, weird thing to have happen. Andrew, Simon, James, and John are there. And verse 22, look at it. What happens? They're astonished at his teaching. They're astonished at his teaching. Apparently, they had not heard the kind of teaching he's been giving. And also, they have not heard teaching like the way he teaches. He teaches with authority. This is one of the points in time where if you're a scribe, you're kind of like, um, I apparently we're missing something because we're not teaching real well. There's no authority behind it. But you know what that means. You've been to churches or places or people who are just teaching their ideas and their thoughts. Uh, you don't want to hear that as an authority. Who are you? You want to hear what God's word has to say. And that's what we're about as a church here. And what does God have to say in it? And that's where the authority comes. And the fact is, Jesus is the word. And there he is. Man, wouldn't you love to hear what he would have said? I mean, just to hear him talk. It's like, boom, face down, uh, listening to what's going on there. And then uh, uh, Jesus is opposed during his teaching, verses 23 to 24. How interesting is this? A man in the synagogue is demon-possessed. I wonder if anybody else knew that or not told about it, uh, but that's the situation. And, and then in it, the demons speak out, and they speak out, and they want to know Jesus' purpose. What are you going to do? And note in the text, it says, they, they ask, are, are you going to destroy us? Hey, friends, uh, don't just bypass that. Because listen to me, 
Who can destroy a demon? I'm not talking about who can cast out a demon. I'm talking about who can destroy a demon. I can't. You can't. The terminology here is critical to understand that a demon in this is essentially saying you are divinity. You have the ability to destroy me. Huge statement in this that you cannot go by. Uh, And then they say you are the holy one of God. And I'll just put this out on the table. Doug, I think Jesus was a good guy, but a regular guy kind of a super spiritual guy. Well, that's really interesting because that's not what demons think. Uh, I think Jesus is just kind of like hyped up religious. He's a great example to follow. Well, that's really interesting because demons who I would think have a bigger picture of the reality of spiritual things, demons don't believe that. Demons know that Jesus is the one that can destroy them. He is the Holy One of God. Friends, this this is just so massive in Mark's argument. This is what he's getting at. He's helping us to see, bam, right out of the gate, the, the Star Wars crawl has gone by, and bam, right out of the gate, demons are calling Jesus divinity. And that's what's happening here in the synagogue on the Sabbath in Capernaum. And then look, verse 25, what does Jesus do? He rebukes the spirit saying, be silent, come out of him. Uh, Again, I think it's so interesting. No debate. No rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) It's not like, okay, let's rock, paper, scissors it, and whoever wins gets our way. None of that's going. He's just like, dude, zip it. And come out. Well, I don't want to. Who are you? You see what I'm saying? Who who are you to tell me what to do? If it were me, if it were you, I think that's what the response would be. Well, neener, neener. I don't have to. But here in the text, what happens is Jesus is like, zip it and get out of here. And it's like, That's that's what's taking place. And look at verse 27. The people are amazed. Listen, I love it when people ask questions about who Jesus is. They're like, what is this? A new teaching? (laughs) Not only a new teaching, but it's a new teaching with authority. There's something behind this guy. Who is this that commands the spirits and they obey him? Listen, friends, they saw the whole thing. They were eyewitnesses to it and they understand the question that has to be asked. Who is this guy? And that question has not changed ever since then. And so I ask you, who do you think this Jesus is? Because it's a paramount question. And I just want to lovingly press into you. If you think he's just one of the other prophets that's shown his face on the earth like Moses and Abraham and some others like that, I just want to press into you lovingly and go, I'm sorry, but that's not who the spiritual forces of evil even know him to be. And you need to hear what demons have to say. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? 
So what is Mark, the author, doing here? Well, he's putting more data on the table, data for us, as we talked last week, to be discussed and digested. I mean, as I've been saying, what do you do with all this? I just say Mark is continuing to build his case. Uh, from verse 1, he said what his purpose is, and 15 chapters, 16 chapters are all about explaining that purpose. And the storyline continues. And I think a critical verse here in this scene is verse 28. Mark is trying to help us understand, and his fame is building. You can just hear the movie music. Bum, 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 bum. This dude is becoming something on the scene. Well, what about with, from Jesus's eyes? Let's just step back and think through Jesus. I think it's so interesting here. I'll just put priority number one, the priority of teaching. What does Jesus do here? He goes in and he teaches, I'll call it biblical truth. He's teaching. That's what verse 14 he came to do. He's coming into the synagogue and he's, and he's teaching. As we talked last week, he's given data to be digested and discussed. But I also want to note this. I'll just say this is important for me and I think for important for all of us. Moms, dads. Notice how Jesus is teaching draws people. It causes people to ask questions. You don't see this kind of teaching where it's just like hellfire and brimstone. It's like, dude, you are so disgusting. (laughs) You are just so annoying. You are just so hard to listen to. You have like no social graces in it. What's going on here? Actually, if you follow the text along, the people are drawn into who Jesus is. Who is this guy? Like, listen to what he has to say. I mean, he's pressing boundaries here, and yet uh, he's getting attention. Opposition is coming to the table. Questions are being asked in it. And I just say this, moms, dads, does your teaching draw your kids? Or does it push them away? I hope my teaching draws people in to what God has to say and who he is. Uh, Listen, this whole idea that teaching should be boring, no! Like God's word is boring? Shame on that thinking. I hope that's never the case. I hope when we get into God's word, part of what I... I want people to understand this is awesome stuff. It rocks. It's good. Grab a hold of it. We're going on a ride for the next months through this. That's why in the, in the narratives, we're going to feel it. And I'm going to push you in that. And you may feel a little awkward. You may think I'm a bit weird. That's okay. But it's a narrative, and, and moms, dads, we see Jesus, he draws people in. Spouses, as you're working together, do you draw each other in? Small group leaders, are you drawing people into the teaching of Jesus, or, or are you a know-it-all? In kids' ministries, to young adults, to, to people that you're around at work, are you an annoying Christian? Or are you a Christian that draws people in? I just continue to see Jesus draws people in who want to hear. And he does it in a kind of a way that is just so drawing. Listen, there's a priority of teaching here that Jesus has. Well, let's keep going. Scene two, Jesus heals in Capernaum. Let me read verses 29 to 34. Here we go. And immediately... So it was like really fast after all of this. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Remember Simon and Andrew? James and John? Uh, up last Sunday in the text. 
He entered a house of Simon and Andrew. They were brothers with James and John. The houses weren't that big. They couldn't bring everybody in. Verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Pause. Think about that. You just saw Jesus in the synagogue doing this demon crazy, like out, bud. And you're like, whoa, this, this boy's got some something going on here. And I'm all of a sudden connecting it. My mom within like my mother-in-law within like a hundred feet, because do understand within this in Capernaum here in this city, you can see here all these uh, stone things down here and around to the side. These are all homes. And so this walk from the synagogue over to their home was a hundred, a couple hundred feet away. And, and Simon, Andrew are making this connection. It's like, dude, mom's like in bad shape. He, uh, they connected this and they come and they're like, immediately they told him about her. Hey, my mom, my mom, Uh, verse 31. These are great (laughs) son-in-laws. And and he came and, and took her by the hand, Jesus did, and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Well, well, that's kind of, Lowly to women. Pause. When you're really sick, I mean like really, really, really sick. And then all of a sudden you're like, you pass that corner where you're like, I'm feeling better now. And then you're like, I'm still fried out. True? Not in this situation. She's 100% back, 100% energy. You're healed. Boom! Bam! Uh, what can I do to thank you? Uh, this is so a mom. Can I serve you? Oh, sure. This, is, this whole thing of this scenario is actually telling how miraculous this healing was. It wasn't like a, well, give me a couple hours, I'll recover and get my head back on because I kind of got a headache. No, no, no. It's like, bam, now I'm feeling great. Let's get at it. And she serves them. How sweet is that? Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Do you get what's going on? Now the whole city's in on this. Everybody from the synagogue and how they're like going all through this little town. This isn't that big. We've been there. It's not that big of an area. It like could fit on this entire piece of property, these 23 acres that we have. And you're like, words going around. And what are you thinking? Well, well, I've got someone sick and, and I've got someone maybe that's demon possessed. We don't get that here in America because that's just not a, as big of a deal here. But in other countries, they totally get that. And then they're bringing people, verse 33, and, and the whole city, not part of it, not a few of it, not just the men, not just the women, not just the kiddos, the whole city was gathered together at the door. <laughs> Jesus just draws people. Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
out. Zip it. Out. Huh? <laughs> I know who you're. Zip it. Out. This is just stunning. This is just absolutely stunning. Who can do this? Who can do this? What's Mark doing here? He's continuing to show us, you guys, that this Jesus is no normal person. We're not even out of chapter one. And you have to be asking yourself, who is this guy? In fact, let me just summarize up. Here's Jesus' authority so far in the first verses that we've come to through verse 34, who have in some way confirmed his authority being totally crazy, non-normal. Confirmed by John the baptizer. Confirmed by the people coming out. By the way, the people that are now on the scene here. It's confirmed by God the Father, confirmed by the Spirit. We're going all through chapter 1. Confirmed by Satan. He's the one who goes after him in the desert. Why? Because it's just, it's a battle. Uh, Then it's confirmed by the angels who minister to Jesus in the desert. Then it's confirmed by last Sunday by his calling Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Who does that? And then his amazing teaching in Capernaum that we've seen here. Then it's confirmed also by him rebuking and casting out demons. And then what the demons have to say and aren't allowed to say. Then it's also confirmed by his healing and his casting out demons just from a boatload of people in Capernaum. And then again, by his authority over these demons who knew who he was. I'm telling you, friends, we're not out of chapter one and you have to come to some kind of conclusion on who this guy is. And Mark continuing to build the case. Note Jesus here, verses 29 to 34. I just want uh, this observation. In this section of it in the evening, there's no teaching recorded. There's no preaching. There's no uh, data to be discussed or data to be digested outside of what's being done. There's no decision call that's being made here. I'll just put it this way. He's just being kind. Priority number two, the priority of caring. Caring for people. How do you rank on the meter of caring about other people? I've been pondering this this week. And I think our initial reaction is, I care. Let me ask again. Really, how much do you care about other people? Or do you care about other people because you really care about yourself? I want to do this for people because then I'll feel good. Or I want to do this for them because I don't want to lose them. I just, I'm being totally transparent with you. This week I was considering through this and frankly quite ashamed. How much do we do Because we genuinely care about people. Let me just ask within this room. You're in this room and there's people you don't know in here. Do you care? I know that sounds like a hard question to ask. I'm not trying to be a a jerk about it. But I am asking that. 
So Doug, am I supposed to like care about everyone? I can't do that. No, we'll see in the text here in just a minute on some of that. But I am asking this, really, do you care about the people even in this room? Well, sure I do. I, 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 no, do, do you really? Or are they means for you to get accomplished what you want? And in fact, how often are people totally annoying to us all day long? When the line at Starbucks is longer than you anticipated. Annoying people. When things at work aren't working out the way you want because someone is being a jerk or because someone is just not getting it. You so annoy me. Or even just in our own family. I love those kids, but man, they annoy me. I love my spouse, but man, she or he annoys me. I'm just, I'm just asking today. Because here's one of the things that stuns me. Jesus didn't have to spend all these time with people. I think we read these and we just go right on by it. Think, well, yeah, duh. Of course he's supposed to do that. He doesn't have to do that. I mean, he came to teach. And he's not teaching here. He's loving on people. And I think Jesus just sees people in a different way than you and I have a tendency to do that. So I'm just asking, do I, do you, do we really care like Jesus cared? Jesus teaches in Capernaum. He heals in Capernaum. Scene number three, Jesus leaves Capernaum. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning. uh, When was it in the morning? Very early, like, I'm curious, how early is very early? Mark tells us, while it was still dark. Why would Mark say that? Who cares? Why doesn't Mark just say, it was in the morning? Why does he put in these words that describe the setting? He puts those words in to describe the setting, not because he's writing an illustrative novel. He's putting these details in the setting. This is one of the traits of Mark. He puts in these details so we really understand the setting. It it was like crazy early. The older I get, the earlier I wake up. Gray hairs? Amen? Amen? Okay, it's just like today, 5.20, blasted. (laughs) And I'll say this, it was dark. (laughs) It was dark this morning at 5.20. And and yet Jesus is up early, let me put it this way, on purpose, not me. (laughs) Yeah, the people of me was annoying myself. Uh, Oh, what's the deal? Very early, why? why? Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. In other words, he he was outside of the the city confines. Because again, you can see on the slide how tight everything is there. And, And so he's getting out on some of those hills nearby. And what did he do? And there he prayed. Pause. Well, of course he prayed. Pause. Theologically, we understand Jesus Christ to be the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is God in the flesh. And God goes out to pray. 
Friends, I just, as I read the rest of this, I think we really don't understand prayer. What was he talking about? What was he praying? What was this conversation with the Spirit and the Father like? I mean, was it, was it vocal? Could you hear it? Was, it? was it silent? Was it like, you know, I'd really like my day to go well, Lord. Um, could, could you, I'd like to have a nice happy meal for lunch too. And, and could you keep the kids in order for me? That would really be great. And, and, and could my car make it well? Because that, that would be swell. And, and then I'd really like to be happy and comfortable today. And, and could you remove the humidity? Amen. That's what the second person of the Trinity is doing in communion with the first and the third person of the Trinity here in prayer. I wonder what that looked like. Did he kneel? Was he standing? Was he walking and talking? Was it vocal? Was it silent? Was it in a whole other language that we don't even know? Was it just silence? I don't know. What I'm trying to do is every so often, when you come across things in scripture, just pause and imagine it. This is three-dimensional, not one-dimensional on a page. And there he prayed. Verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him, in other words, like Andrew and James and John, uh, were with him, they searched for Jesus, and they found him. I wonder what that sight was. So cool yesterday. (laughs) Sorry. Just with this whole thing, yesterday morning I'm in, going to walk to my office. All the other pastors are going on vacation. They're out of here. Except for Pastor Nate. Kneeling on his chair, praying. And this is the text that I covered today. And I'm just one, I was so blessed by that, Nate. Just so blessed by that. He wasn't doing it because I was there. And yet I'm just, I walked in, I go into my desk and I'm sitting, I'm thinking, oh yeah, these guys came upon Jesus praying. What was that like? I'm just going to guess they never forgot that image. I don't know, was he kneeling and like, I have no idea. But I just have to mention that. They were there and they searched for him and they found him and they said to him, Hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. (laughs) Can you imagine? It's now the morning and things have built. Everyone is looking for you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go on to the next town. What? Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Okay, let me, let me fast forward here for time. 
Priority number three, the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. Alone time with God. And I want to note to you when this is happening. This is happening very early in the morning after a huge day of ministry. Hey, we all can understand, here we are, 4th of July weekend. If you've had family in town, love family, my family's here, you know, all this kind of stuff. Love it, love it, love it. But they're tiring. We all know it, and they're right here. Right, Emily, Kurt? I mean, we're tiring. It's just the fact of the matter. You put out, you're with people, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it's just, it's just tiring with people. And you know, those of you who serve on Sundays in kids' ministries and then are attending church, you just go home, you're exhausted, aren't you? Not from here, but from there. And from greeting people and all these kinds of things. I'll tell you, Sundays for me, I just go home and I just call, I'm ministry dead dog tired. Just exhausted in the way I am. I just pour myself out there and it's like, it's all on the table and you go home and it's like, oh, that was bad. And then I didn't do that. And you got all that mess to deal with. And it's just exhausting. And yet here it is. They're up till very late at night, the text tells us. Then very early in the morning, Jesus is out praying. Yeah, but he had the advantage. He's God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Check. Um, Gotcha on that. But he's also 100% man. The priority of have it happening. I'll just tell you, I think there's times where, again, I'm not saying rest is wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying just couching it out is wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, I'm just observing the, 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 the priority that Jesus has here, the priority of prayer. Time with the Father. It's valuable to him, verse 35. And there he prayed. And I just ask us, do you have that kind of time with the Lord? Not just like the daily crouton nugget. You know, I read my paragraph and check. But I mean just time with the Lord. I'm not even pressing daily. I'm just pressing time with the Lord at all in this kind of fashion. But I'm so busy Yeah, and Jesus wasn't. Priority of prayer, fourth and last. The priority of purpose. Priority of purpose. Verse 36, Simon and those with him, they go looking for Jesus. Verse 37, they say, everyone is looking for you. Man. Would you not think if you are doing ministry, if you will, let's take the context of Jesus, would you not think, bam, this is perfect? I mean, how, no mailer, no billboard, come to a conference, everyone free of charge is coming right to you to your door. I mean, there they are, they're gathering. I, I look at this and I go, this is an unbelievable ministry opportunity here. And verse 38, Jesus says, let's go on. Other versions, let's go somewhere else. Another says, let's go to the next villages. Seriously? He leaves them there. Uh, There's a part of this, let's just be honest. It seems rude. 
It seems like such a lost opportunity. Friends, people in those days do not have doctors and medical facilities like we have today. This was their chance to have a physical thing taken care of. And he walks away. Why? Well, I'd answer because of the priority of his purpose. Let's go on to the next towns, verse 38, that I may preach there also. That is why I came. By the way, that fits with verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And so Jesus leaves, verse 39, and he goes throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I want to toss something out to you here as we close. We generally think of life as mostly about good versus bad. Right versus wrong decisions. Sin versus righteousness things. And and while that's true, I actually think more of life is about good, better, best decisions. And I don't think we give thought enough to those kinds of things. Let me put a couple things out here on the table. The situation is there. Jesus stays and he heals and he casts out demons. Really good thing, right? I mean, I think we all would agree with that. Man, that'd be a marvelous thing to be doing. Here's another one. He does the same thing. He heals, casts out demons, and he teaches with that time. I was like, bam, that's even better. (laughs) What does Jesus do? He leaves them all hanging, and he walks away. One, it kind of goes back to my question of, do you care? And sometimes it comes, well, am I supposed to care for everybody? No. But do you care for some? Jesus cared for some, but yet in it for him, there was this this reality that that there's a good, better, best thing right now. And, And here's where you're thinking. This is so America, because this is where I'd be thinking. Awesome, Doug. Give us the three points on how we're supposed to make a best kind of a decision. Give me the three things. Aren't you thinking that? Like, what's the process, Doug? What's the process, Doug? Okay, I'm gonna leave you really annoyed at me. I'm not gonna tell you. Well, that's rude. You're walking away like Jesus. Is that the point? No. The text is not here to give us a seminar on how to make decisions. It's not here to tell us a process. It's here to tell us about a person right now. And I want to keep our eyes focused on the person right now and have us walk out of here just stunned by the purposefulness of Jesus. And I want to ask you this question leaving. What's your purpose? I mean, really, what's your life purpose right now? I work. Why? Why do you, well, to get money. Why? Well, I'm working hard to get a better position. Why? What for? What's your purpose with that? I'm married. Why? What's your purpose with it? In fact, do you, husband and wife, do you even know what your purpose is? Do you have a purpose? And let me ask it this way. Is your purpose any different than a good atheist? Well, to be happy. Uh, Atheists can do that. Well, so we can have kids. Atheists can do that. What's your purpose, couples? Why? Why are you having a family? What's your purpose with your kids? 
What causes you to make the kind of decisions that I'm going to walk away from that opportunity so that I can do this opportunity? And I actually think we are in this place where we call ourselves followers of Christ, but most of our life purpose is about ourself. And so I'm going to lovingly annoy you by leaving you where the text leaves us. And in the matter of the text leaves us, he just leaves. <laughs> so I'm going to pray and leave so that the worship team can lead us. But I close with this. Is your life purpose the Lord's life purpose for you? Or is your purpose right now your purpose for you? God, I want to thank you for providing us story of who you are. I love the epistles. I love those kind of paragraphs that are almost bullet pointed on topics and that are driving out and help us just to go at them in an intellectual and kind of a didactic teaching kind of a way. I love that. But I also love the uniqueness of the story that you write. The narrative that not only tells about Jesus, but gives us literally insight into who he was, how he lived, what he did, how he walked, how he talked, how he handled situations. It's a living picture provided right before us. And God, I would ask this morning, I'm kind of finishing this time off in a different kind of a way of of kind of just leaving it hang. Lord, I'm hoping to leaving it hang with these four priorities out on the table. Priorities that would be out there for us just this week to be watching ourselves, asking ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? And Lord, teaching is critical. How we think is critical. Thinking rightly is critical. Caring for people is absolutely like Jesus. Time with you, dedicated time with you, TV off, radio off, alone with you. Oh God, more of those. And right thinking, right caring, right praying people. Our purposed people. God, all this fits together. We're able to watch someone who's doing it the way we should be. Help us to be more like him. For your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.